0: The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the Green Peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the Green, Green Peak, Peak with your host, Richard Zwicky.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky with the Green Peak, and joining us today is Brent Zettel from Zias Life Sciences and Brent, you've, uh, you've had a phenomenal career in the uh, medical cannabis industry, and uh, you joined us about nine months ago on the show, when you talked a bit about your history and as a pioneer. And today, you know, nine months later, Zaius, uh, which is your, I'll still call it your new company relative to everything else, has uh, been forging some really interesting paths through the phytotherapeutic uh, aspects of um, cannabinoids and cannabinoid-based medicine. Um, I know you've had some really interesting news and releases lately. Do you want to bring us up to date on what's been going on over at Zaius? Sure. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, we have added
2: to our team in terms of uh, uh, our new VP of HR, Irene Filoskemi, and um, Rob Harding, our new CFO. And uh, we also you know that's complementing to our VP of Marketing, Brian Johns, and I think the key thing here is we're really assembling the, the management team, the senior, the, the NEOs, that we need to move the company to the next generation of uh, development or next fate of development. Yeah. So uh, Irene, mean, as for the HR side, as you know, HR in any business is at least 35% effort that you have to do and you got to build a culture, which we're doing or yeah. attempting to do. And then uh, Rob brings a, a wealth of experience from the oil and gas sector, uh, formerly with Athabasco Oil. And he's from startup until uh, publicly traded company. So, as you can well imagine, being a life sciences company, financing is going to become a big part of what we're trying to do uh, going forward. And so, as a financing, you know, the, the probability of us including the possibility of an IPO in uh, sometime 2021 is a possibility. So we need to get ready for that sort of uh, that change as, a, as an organization.
1: Yeah, and I mean, uh, it's nice to see the emphasis put on HR early on. That's something a lot of companies don't spend enough time on in terms of strategically thinking about that aspect of their direction and how they're going to build the team, but also having somebody dedicated, not just to finding the people, but to maintain the culture. Yeah,
2: the culture is the sort of the new way the businesses have to function. It's not any longer just good enough to, you know, come in and show up and get your coffee and do your work and then leave. In isolation. It's more of a beehive, a honey beehive, where you have to actually work a collective. And <laughs> especially in the social media environment that we have, it's more important that you have people engaged with the vision and the purpose and the, and the belief of what they're doing. Especially the younger generation, the millennials, they want to feel they're engaged for a purpose and a cause. So everybody <laughs> that we brought here that came across from Days, the 35 original, other people, And we've added to, they've all come because they've had a story or they've had a reason. They want to participate with what the new vision is we're trying to create in trying to advance the science of well-being. So really, we're trying to take that, elevate the cannabinoid uh, research to a new level of where we really think these are going to become standardized in the healthcare system and standardized use in the system. And so we're, I guess, revealing new sciences all the time. That's really intriguing for our people. So that's what starts the sort of momentum in the culture, but then also a compassion angle that people here really want to make a difference and want to help their, you know, their their peers and their friends, and their other, the the relative people that we have a compassionate center. And so from that perspective, then it's really positive that we have that for those two initiatives that we're trying to do, you know, forging ahead on the science but
1: at the same time
2: having that compassion angle, know that we're really doing it for the ultimately for benefit of patients.
1: Yeah, and you know, that um, speaks really well to a bit also of your, your background, where you started Prairie Plants then Canamed as the evolution with regards to helping people. It started from how do we help people with medicine? And in the past, you grew, transformed, and sold products directly to patients, sure. um, where Zias today is focusing on formulations and final products, but not necessarily as much on the production side. Why is that? And do you see that as being a trend across the industry? Well, I, I don't know about it being a trend. It, what it was, was being honest with ourselves
2: when we restarted again? Uh, you know, all the amount of capital that's deployed in Canada already for growing product means that there's a lot of dedicated resources and the money towards the production of uh, of cannabis plants in terms of flower and the herbal products. So, mm-hmm. from my standpoint it would seem better to you know, leverage that capital and make sure that you know we teach or we, we instruct because we had the, the, the tribal knowledge of how to teach people how to grow because that's what we used to do. So when we bring on suppliers, we make sure they have to meet certain standards uh, of growing and we can educate them on what they can and can't or shouldn't do. So we don't need to have necessarily grow it with margin. So the idea was if we're going to pick up, where's the, where is the money not being spent was the first question. Where do we need to focus the resources? And again, that's risk capital associated with clinical trials or preclinical trials leading to clinical trials. And then also in the manufacturing after the flower. So there was a, you know, even though we have manufacturers, it's manufacturing under a pharmaceutical discipline to make the the cannabinoid formulations that we need going forward. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the clear differentiators is even though, you know, we start with a cannabis plant as a basis to begin with. Once it's harvested, it can go different directions in terms of which markets they're going to, to attract to. Absolutely. In a recreational, market, a recreational market, the products are you know, they're recreational experience centric, um, but they don't really require the same sort of discipline from a precision for dosing and, and, and of, uh, that needs to be precise. And when you're dosing something, it has to be really precise and consistent system. In a rec experience, it can be a bit more, uh, a bit, a bit more graduating because the experience is going to be achieved, you know, it's a volume game. It doesn't really require the precision. Most people who are using medicines require it to be, you know, they want to take just enough to manage the symptom and get on with their day. And in a lot of cases for managing pain, it's like 10% of the dose it takes to get to manage a symptom than it does to get to have the experience of being high. So you're taking one tenth a dose, just precisely doing it microsing, you can use that word, to get manage a management symptom. But
1: you're also but taking a different combination of cannabinoids at the same time, right? It's I was just gonna say you're
2: also managing not just TAC, you're managing the other, other cannabinoids in terms of a formulation. So our focus is on you know fixed dose formulations. On what we need to have precision. So we pick up the pieces from basically saying we're going to leverage on the production that's provided, teach the guys that are, and, and women uh, that are good at, at growing the people that are really good at growing and have them supply to us. And then we'll take it from there and then manufacture these precision type products, you know, mm-hmm. starting with oils and leading into the topicals and leading into capsules, but all with a focus on the constant, the materials inside of it, the cannabinoids inside of it. And then think about what we have to do from a research perspective as we forge ahead in the clinical work that we're sort of making these discoveries on now.
1: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And that's funny enough, that's the flip side of the coin to where we're, you know, our production, which has just been, uh, we got the GACP certifications just recently. Um, our focus is on the standardization of the production of the plant material and the raw materials, so that companies such as yours have inputs that are as standardized as possible and plant can never be a hundred percent the same from one to one but you can get close enough within a range that as you're making it into you know you're running through extraction and through all the various processing you're able to create that standardized medicine simply and easily but dependably um and you know when you're working with doctors and patients you know they depend on that standardization it's uh it's it is key um and you know with that you know the the adoption by physicians and medical practitioners in helping patients is key um but also the change in the usage is coming quickly where smokables was the big marketplace for it was the m- means by which even medical was being delivered most heavily but we're seeing a shift and we're seeing data that shows that the, uh, the market's going to shift over the next 18 months to many more encapsulated products and tinctures that um, really play into the strategy I think you're following. How, how do you look at the, the growth and the change in that area?
2: Well, I think for the most part, it's
1: a, if you're looking at a medical
2: accessible product, it has a gravitational pull to standardized delivery methods. Right? There's a, just a natural gravitational pull. Now, you know, in 2003, when we first started supplying product to patients, Health Canada only would allow us to supply it as a herbal product, for, as a smokable. That was all we could do. And that change to make it into an oil didn't come until January of 2016. Mm-hmm. So for 13 years, that was the standard, uh, standard form. The only form allowed for Canadians to access This was a smokable form. But if you think in terms of evolution of product, we are moving more and more towards a standardized delivery methods, such as oils, such as tinctures, such as capsules, because people, you know, there's a number of compelling reasons on the medical side. I can speak to it from this perspective. Again, that gets precision. You get more precision on the dosing. Once you get into capsules, especially it gets more and more precise. And so that's number one is, is really folks are, are, Appreciate the precision as well. Do the healthcare practitioners? They like the to predict how much they can take, because then they can help the patient meter it in and self titrate what they need to take. So that's going to become more the norm on the medical side. And the smokables, The other thing that we found when we observed when we were doing this, the, the when we were doing smoke and even vaping, which was a was a step up, was a proven, was the family members. You know, it was okay in the beginning. But then the family members would start to complain about having to always put up with the smells and the odors Works. of smokeable cannabis, and it was less so with vaping, but it was the infringement on the, the, the personal well-being, not well-being, but personal preferences, shall we say, of other family members. They didn't want to have to tolerate that, that this was the medicine. So again, I guess if I can use the word discretion, when you get to these more consumable forms, they're more discreet that seems to be
1: also the gravitational pull, and I can see that happening more and more as we move into a rec strategy. Um, well, let's we come back this. to that. Let's come back to that again in a moment. We do need to take a break, sure. but um, I'd like I'd like to spend a bit more time on that. We're coming back with Brent Zettel from Zias, and I'm Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. I'll be back in a minute.
0: The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success, Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Greenpeace.
1: And we're back. I'm Rich's Zwicky with uh, Brent Zettel from uh, Zias, And Brent, just before the break, we were talking about, um, you know, the me- means of, by which people are consuming the, uh, the product, uh, be it medical and, of course, recreational. And you brought up a good point about the smell of smokables and how other family members object to it, so, you know, even though it's medicine it hangs around and, you know, I, it isn't one that I ever even really thought about um, because, you know, I don't have a smoker in the house, but if I know that many people who do, the smokers go outside to have a smoke. Right. And with when they're taking medicine, that's not the same discussion. And so the point you brought up about the vaping and other means of dosage delivery is, uh, is incredibly uh, apt with regards to that. Of course, in recreational, people are looking for different things. But um, how do you see that transforming?
2: Well, I think that over time, what we're going to find is that the, we're going to see that there's going to be a, a shift in how we perceive things, how we move to a different um, a process of, of having the, uh, the products be more, again, user-friendly from a precision standpoint. So coming back to this, if you think about smokable and vaping products, if you're thinking about a, a, a trying to dose it as a medical thing, then you're going to think in terms of having it, a, you know, how do you precisely dose that? So you say how many puffs you can take and everything else. So what, what the problem becomes is that it makes it much more difficult for a patient to sort of figure out the, 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 the dose that they take. Is it, how deep do they breathe and all this other kind of stuff. So those things that I would say they were crude forms of taking the medicine to start with, or the initial forms, not necessarily crude, but they were the only accepted ways. Now we move down to the what's what's coming next. These precise ways of doing this is more, uh, I would say, uh, uh, recreational friendly products. Now, of course, core concern is that we make sure we're not too, they're too friendly, that's inviting for the children to sort of start to take. But uh, from a standpoint of, of dosability and a standpoint of discretion, I think these are gonna be the trends going forward. That people are want to, you know, they still want to take and, and participate in using those those type of products, but they're going to have to be done in a way that's a, that's a little bit more, I would say,
1: user friendly, and also maybe in different forms, that, such as with drinks and so forth. Oh, absolutely, no, absolutely, it makes perfect sense. And it's funny, it, you know, for me it never really clicked, but I just using a bit of an analogy. I uh, I, I love in the middle of winter to uh, have a a glass of Lafroy, a big peaty, smoky uh scotch because it reminds me of sitting around the campfire during the summer. Right. But uh my ex would walk into the room occasionally and just complain about the smell and you know and, and I would laugh to myself about it. And uh yeah. but it is funny how those things do uh do impact people. Yeah. Um so you know with that you mentioned something else you mentioned just a, a little bit earlier was some of the changes that are coming and you know, we saw that Australia is opening up in March next year for over-the-counter uh, CBD preparations, encapsulations. And I know we're shipping uh, product there, and Brazil mm-hmm. is opening up. And, of course, they have different – there they have uh, Zone 4B uh, stability test, which is one year of non-accelerated stability. Every, every zone and every region has different requirements. But <clears throat> these issues of the, uh, the regulatory frameworks that occur, are changing rapidly – but also the different zones. How are you dealing with them all? And which which areas are you going to really look at as being the markets for Zia's to uh, pursue? Well, you know, the, the, the world in the medical arena is, is waking
2: up to, you know, in a post-COVID environment, what do we need to do to improve our quality of life today? Because, yeah. you, know, you know, our adage is that, you know, people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. So is the seven or 10 pills that I'm on today really adding a really quality of life or is it just keeping me alive you know, marginally? And I think there's a lot more questions being asked about that. But the problem is, and I call them medical exempted markets, you know, pro- you know cannabis-based products are, haven't really met the, and they're not, you know, other than GW's products, they're not denable products for the most part. Oils mm-hmm. and things are not denable products. They might be pinnable, meaning, pseudo uh, yep. drug uh, identification numbers, but But it, this is where the regulators of every country and the, and the politicians struggle is because the demand from the the populace want to have a better quality of life. And they, they see around the peers, thanks to social media, how well the cannabinoids are doing in the, both their medical conditions, but also some of the recreational experiences they have and so now the populace around the planet is demanding having access and as a consequence, both the politicians and regulators are trying to keep up. So every single country that we're involved with has a tendency to try to react to this in whatever way they want, they, they, they can. And they invent their own set of regs and their own way of accessing this thing. And I'd have to you know, honestly say that every country that we're starting to have discussions with has, is completely different than the other. I mean, there's a, th- a few threads of continuity uh-huh. But very few. I mean, the regs are it's just as different, you know, in Australia as they you know, from Canada, then to, into Germany, then to to to, to Portugal and into other other countries. And of course, uh, the United States is a no fly zone until you know until until there's such time that there's uh, either a shift in the in the designation of the scheduling of cannabis or there's a a dinnable product that, that meets all the compliances of the FDA. So every jurisdiction is different, I guess, is the the bottom line answer. And you have to really adapt to it. And that's what we're doing. We're adapting to it. And so we see from our vantage point that, you know, we're really focused initially on the Western democracies for the most part, you know, Europe, North America, and Australia, New Zealand. Uh, And that's going to be our sort of initial areas that we're going to focus on Uh, moving into Pacific Rim eventually, uh, you know, South Korea and so forth. But Mm -hmm. I I think we have to be mindful of what as these markets open up. It's hard to uh, navigate every regime all at once. It's a learning curve. It takes a lot of hand-holding with each country because they don't, uh, they're do not they still not familiar, they're not comfortable. And so there's a lot of work as you enter into every country, we find that each one is unique and every one is a lot of work in order to get products
1: in the market. It, it is a lot of work and it, people uh, don't always appreciate how challenging it is. For example, we deal in, in uh, Brazil and when we deal with pharmaceutical companies, they need pharma grade GMP as their input. Right. But if we're dealing with a pre- uh, preparation, it is a final product It can go in. In some cases, as a herbal, which surprises me. In other cases, it can go. In, it has to go in as a, a registered product, but it doesn't have to be GMP, but it does have to have twelve month stability. Right. All over the map with the same product, and then of course, and the rest of town like we're dealing with farmers. Pharma- groups in Peru and now Ecuador and, of course, in Colombia. And the uh, the pharmacy distribution system uses a lot of compounding, which is right. something you rarely see in North America anymore. Um, but that's the beans by which uh, the distribution happens. And that's an incredible challenge for every firm uh, trying to penetrate the markets And ha- where you've know, been making a really wise decision around and strategically looking at which ones are probably the most similar that you can deal with. With the least number of variables, right? So you know, to try to make standardized products is really
2: difficult, is within those changing regimes. Now, the other, the other, you know, challenge, of course, layered on top of that is the fact that they, just like Health Canada, they invent new regs every at least every six months. Yeah, so, if it's that. Not, it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a steady state. You think you got it figured out, and all of a sudden, you know, even Health Canada surprises with a new set of regs came in early July. We had no idea they were going to come with those kind of. Changes and so all of a sudden it's like now you got to adapt again, but mm-hmm. it's adapting at every jurisdiction they do because they're still not comfortable and there is zero standardization of anything on the planet. And it, I think that's a hallmark of a new industry. Really, that's so sort of, that really speaks to the fact that this is very much a still an in,
1: industry in its infancy. Absolutely, and then of course you have to layer onto that the different, uh, not just the different political regimens, but the different judicial um, regimens where some countries, like for us in Colombia, it's precedent-based, and if a regulator who isn't necessarily the uh, who's a mid-level official makes a decision, that's the precedent which everybody else has to follow until there's a ruling that over that changes it. And uh, there's been some amazingly, I'll just call them asinine decisions made, not out of malice but out of misunderstanding, sure. and that affects the industry incredibly. Sure, I think mean, it's going to be a it's going to be a lots of uh, Shall we say learning
2: pains as we go through this as this as this industry continues to develop, and it's, especially as it develops and you know it's going kind of, there's a fork in the road obviously between a rec product being developed on an international basis and a medical product being developed on an international basis, and very often the jurisdictions will sort of dip their toe, if I can use that word you know as phrase, dip their toe into this space by starting with a medical access uh, component. And
1: then they might think about opening up eventually to a recreational thing later on, Yeah. The way following Canada's development. Which, which I think is wise in many ways, because if you do it right, you're able to uh, understand how you're going to deal with the distribution and the market as a whole, but also get, get rid of the fears. Yeah,
2: fears and then also how they regulate and how they enforce those regulations. <clears throat> and so mm-hmm. that the enforcement becomes, you know, it's a new day of what they're enforcing. And so that becomes the other segment of this whole thing. Again, all of these speaking to, we're still a very early days in the industry. So I'm not, uh, you know, even though we've plateaued in Canada for say medical sales temporarily, it's just, I think it's just a temporary condition.
1: I agree. And let's come back to that again after the break with Brent Settle from Zias, and I'll, we'll be right back.
0: The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living.
1: Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw,
0: inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life.
1: Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better.
0: The concierge for better living with Doc Rob. Only on cannabisradio.com. the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Ink is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know.
3: Money don't make itself. Hemp ink!
0: natural substances produce the results that CBD is producing in the animals that we are testing on.
3: It's a dog's life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio.
0: Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success, Cannabis Radio is back with more of The Green pea.
1: And we're back. I'm Richard Zwicky with the Green Peak, and we're uh, with Brent Zettle from Zayas. And Brent, um, you know, nine months ago or so, when we spoke, uh, we were in the middle of the first part of the market meltdown. Well, uh, probably ten months ago now. And you were like us, busy raising capital. Um, you've made a lot of progress since then. Um, what do you? You mentioned you're going to be looking potentially at an IPO or a public float in some form next year. Yeah, I think the public markets,
2: especially United States wise, are, are, are going to be opening up in the life sciences se- sector. Right. Like we're we're focused on life sciences. And so from our vantage point, it's we're really trying to bring to bear the discipline that goes with that. And you know, we we you know we're working with the, the regulatory bodies of both FDA, Health Canada, Inframed, b farm, to really try to help to bring some standardization to some formulations that we've identified. And so our goal is to, to be able to leverage that. Obviously, risk capital is going to be required for clinical trials. Um, Absolutely. Every, every new drug product candidate, you know, is going to need $100 million to get the commercialization. So you yep. don't do that from, you know, raising on small ones. We have to look to investors to sort of help to share the potential risk on that going forward. Plus, as a company grows, our, our other CapEx demands for building all facilities. And our, we're finished phase one, we're going into phase two. Now we're going to need phase three shortly after that. As we expand into the global markets, entering into, we, we have on the books 21 countries that we're going into within the next three years. We need to make sure we build up the sales force. We can make sure we build up the, 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 the sort of the capital required in order to achieve all that. So that's going to require some capital in order to do that.
1: And yeah, I know those are daunting you know,
2: tasks. They're daunting. I don't see any other
1: way to do it other than to have a publicly traded vehicle for that. No, and that's that's very true. I mean, I have a fellow I know, um, used to know fairly well, and he uh, he started a pharmaceutical company using uh, off the market com- products that the majors had set aside because it didn't meet their minimum threshold of a billion dollar a year market. Each year for sales, and he identified one of them worked incredibly well for lupus, which was only a 750 odd million dollar a year uh, business opportunity. So he did remarketing around it, and just to get through the first stage of marketing, uh, he needed to raise 88 million dollars. Right, and you know, and I think within three years, he ended up selling his company for 1.3 billion, but that was a product that which had been tested w- had gone through all the phases would was safe to use wasn't an issue and that was just the final cost of marketing the molecule it's a it is a daunting task but but when you have the molecule that works you know it's wide open and you know GW did a lot of work for all of us in terms of paving that way yeah
2: and it, it, the problem that i see in the capital markets is the private sector uh, placements now in a you know post covid you know, in a covid environment Yep. are are shy. There's a lot of money on the sidelines, but there's mm-hmm. a, you know there's there's very little appetite for private sector placements right now. That's the problem, right? So private so we're still private. Yep. Private sector placements are really our, our our challenge because you know the whole world now plugged in and again with the social media network. You know, private private companies are gonna have a hard time finding a short of angel investors coming in. They're gonna have a hard time finding raising capital like we are. We're experiencing that ourselves even with our experience, right? So, you know, everybody in their dog wants to know that the, you're going to be in some way publicly traded, that there's an exit and then you got to have defined the exit. So private sector placements don't really have a defined exit. And that seems to be the big stumbling block that we're we're seeing in the industry across the board. They want to see a defined exit within. And it used to be, you know, people think about, well, putting money for five years or eight years as investors. We're moving more and more to our day trader thinking. Yes. So now, you know, now two years is an eternity. I have to keep it, people who have to think about keeping the money locked up for two years it seems like an eternity in a private sector play where they want to have the freedom to go back and forth and catch the next big wave that's coming along. So we moved away from true investing to more day trading thinking. And that in and of itself has been also a, a challenge for us to raise money. So you got you to have a, enough sizzle and enough lift in a short enough period of time that attracts the the, the investor. Now, interestingly enough, once you have all the right elements, it seems just like it's a momentum thing. Once you have all the right key pieces together, then all of a sudden, everybody wants in. Yep. But if you don't have the right elements, nobody wants it. And it just seems to be binary. It, you know, you just hit all the, if you hit all the right chords, then it's all in. If you don't hit the right chords,
1: it's crickets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, and sometimes it's not possible to predict where that magic step is. It is really hard to predict where it is. You have to be able to hit all the right notes on that thing in order to get
2: it. And you, the only evidence you have is that when they start to pile in and they say, Hey, that's a good idea. I want a part of that. And all of a sudden there starts to be this momentum and some competition. And then you have to, you know, then you can, you're
1: oversubscribed. That's when you know you've got the right stuff. Leading yep. up to that though, that's a, that's a tough sell. Yeah. I remember one time with one of my companies, somebody referred to it as an overnight success and I had to clarify for them. That's a 10 year overnight success. Right, that's right. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so when, when you look at going to the public markets, obviously before it was all Toronto, you mentioned that you're looking at the US for the next step or do you think do a listing or how do you look at that going well, forward? Where the, where the activities going? Yeah, where's the activity going to be? It has to be. It's not necessarily cannabis-based
2: I mean, we do have cannabis as our formulations, but really our position in the company is we're a life sciences company. We have protein platforms as well. I mean, as right. you probably are aware, we're, doing the, you know, we're working on the antigen for COVID-19 in a plant expressed system. We have uh, other cytokines that we're doing. So we have other drug product candidates in the pipeline, not just cannabis formulations or cannabinoid formulations. So what the company's position is a life science company focused on, you know, not only the upstream research, but also the downstream clinicals, trying to get products in that are properly, have a dinable products. That's the ultimate long-term goal. So where does it make sense to market a company or to, to see where there's an appetite for life sciences, venture funds and so forth. And you know, South of the 49th, they understand in the biotech sector, what that means from an investment in, in molecules or in things that are going to go into life sciences. So they understand that space a lot better than the Canadian landscape. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to ignore the Canadian landscape. It just means that we have to be, we, it has a higher probability of seeing something lift off within the United States environment, maybe as a dual listing, but for sure as a priority within the United States to do that. From, a, from our our strategy with a life sciences thing that happens to be doing cannabinoids as one of the, a couple of the drug product candidates. That's really the position. As opposed to a cannabis company trying to invent,
1: reinvent itself as something new, right? Yeah. That's not us. Perfect. Well, Brent, thank you so much for joining us today. I know our listeners are going to uh, find it incredibly informative and uh, as do I always. And uh, great seeing you again. Good and you l- too, look forward to My seeing pleasure. you in person, hopefully at some point soon when this uh, COVID allows us to travel and people are interacting. That's right. I look forward to it, Richard. Have a great day. Yeah, you and thank And thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak.